this week we are actually continuing in our series on Psalm 23, entitled Better Days. Come on, how many of you find hope and encouragement in the idea that there are better days ahead? How many of you know that the last eight months can only be considered a dumpster fire? Amen. It has been a crazy year. It's been a crazy season. But there are better days ahead. And we're going to read through Psalm chapter 23, who was written by King David. It was written by a shepherd who would later on go to become a king. And I love this psalm. It's maybe one of the most well-known psalms. And it talks about how God guides us. He is our leader. He's our shepherd. He's our guide. How many of you have anybody in your life that gave you a heads up on what 2020 would hold? Anybody? Because I want to meet that friend. I want to be friends with them. I didn't know what this year would hold. Nobody around me seemed to know what 2020 would hold. In fact, I don't think anybody around me knows what the next month will hold. And so I think that when we wrestle or when we discuss this idea that God is our guide, it's a pretty good concept. It's a pretty good idea. It's one that I like. I like the fact that God, who knows all, sees all, and, 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 and has better foresight than I do, is the one guiding me. This is a psalm of confidence in our God, the shepherd. And today I want to speak to you on a subject that I've entitled, Walking Through the Valley. Let's go ahead and read this text together this morning. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I can tell you a quick story. A couple years ago, uh, maybe six years ago at this point, I was in the office and Pastor Wayne approached me and said, Pastor Justin, I need you to drive to Dallas, Texas. There's somebody there who's going to donate some computer equipment for the church. Many of you see the, what's happening on the screen. That's actually a computer that was donated from that weekend. And so I just said, absolutely, I'll do whatever I can. He sends me to Dallas, Texas. And on the way, I get a phone call from my dad. And my dad says, son, do you have a minute to talk? How many of you know that's already not a great start to a phone call? I, I pull over. I said, what's up, dad? He said, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but your mother has lost all feeling in her lower body. She's actually paralyzed from the waist down. And I remember feeling extreme emotion. How do you process that? My dad begins to tell me, we're actually on our way to Dallas for emergency surgery. And if many of you follow the NFL, I don't know if you know who Tony Romo is. Remember when he hurt his back? The surgeon that operated on Tony Romo's back was the surgeon that my mother was going to see. This was pretty serious. And not only that, I actually tell my dad, this is crazy because they're heading to Dallas for their surgery. I said, I'm actually through a crazy series of events heading to Dallas myself. Let me know where you're staying. I'm coming to see mom. And on the way there, there's a storm that could only be described as a Louisiana storm, but it was in Texas, but it was so bad. My car hydroplaned and I rear end somebody. Not only that, my wife, well, hang on, I'm going to say that to the end. Not only that, on the way back, because that's going to be the cherry on top to this story. She's smiling at me right now. She knows where this is going. On the way back, there was a storm happening here in Metairie. Now, I'm 10 hours away, 9 hours away. I don't have any idea what the weather forecast is back home. And I pull in, and what I didn't know was that the pumps 
in Metairie had been turned off. There was, they were broken or something was happening, but they were off. And so it was storming, but the water was rising incredibly fast. And when I drove in through the streets of Metairie trying to get home, I tried to drive through a street where the water was just a little too high and my engine shuts off, my engine floods. $3,000 later, that's what it would cost to fix that and to get a brand new engine in there. Not only that, my wife calls me and there's no preface to this. She says, hey, sweetie, are you free? I said, yes. She goes, um, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and so... <laughs> There's something so debilitating about real fear, isn't there? A future that's unknown, future with uncertainty. How am I going to pay for this vehicle to be repaired? How am I going to pay for a car seat? How am I going to pay for a crib? How am I going to pay the... How many of you guys, how many of you mothers and fathers know, like having a baby ain't cheap? Like get the doctor bill after she gives birth. Who, I don't know who said love don't cost a thing, but they lied. I can tell you exactly how much it cost. <laughs> There's something about fear when it grips us and when it gets a hold of us. And fear begins to speak to us, doesn't it? You ever had a conversation with fear? You ever had fear tell you that you don't have enough? You ever have fear cause you to forget what's real and what's truth and what you actually are certain of? You ever have fear cause you to forget? I love this psalm because that was a season of life where I experienced great fear. And where's David McMullen? He's one of our elders. He can tell you because he gave me a ride home and I was shut down completely, did not want to discuss that day, that 24 hours. Why? Because I was too busy having a discussion with fear. And some of us in this season struggle to have conversations about things because we're too busy having a discussion with fear. And I love this psalm because this is a psalm that invites our emotions and invites our fear into our relationship with the Lord. Let's read this verse again. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. When we look at the context of this, we know that this was written by King David. If we're not careful, we'll look at that statement right there and we'll immediately judge it and say, what does a king know about fear? What does a king know about struggle? What does a king know about trial? What does a king know about a valley? This guy lives in a palace. This guy had a personal chef. This guy had a personal stylist. He had a personal social media manager. He didn't manage his Instagram. This guy had everything that money could buy. This guy had food. This guy had servants. This guy had access. But the truth is that pain is not prejudice. Pain doesn't care who you are or what you have or where you come from. All of us will experience pain in this lifetime. And David went through many trials and many heartaches. Do you know David had a stalker? King Saul was trying to find David and kill him. I'm just trying to put it in context for 2020, y'all. <laughs> he had a stalker. David would go on and experience things like he had an affair. He murdered somebody. His daughter was raped. His son led a revolt against him. 
David experienced quite a few emotions during some of those seasons. How many of you would agree it's impossible to go through some of that without feeling something in here? I want you to catch this here. Even though God was his shepherd, David went through some trying times. And I want you to understand that faith in God does not excuse us from the experience of pain. And Psalm 23 is about a journey that we go on with the good shepherd. Notice how this psalm, when we started out, we're going every week verse by verse discussing and breaking this thing down. And the beginning of this psalm, the journey begins with green pastures. Then we go on to still waters. Then it moves to paths of righteousness. And now all of a sudden we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death. And if you study this, sheep ranchers would take the high ground on the mountainside through or by way of the valley. In other words, the shepherd is the one who led the sheep through the valley. And they did this because the valleys would typically hold the choicest of meadows, the greatest of feasts for the sheep, the most refreshing of drinks, because that is where the greenery, that is where the water would would be found, would be in the valley. And I want you to understand also in the same breath that the valleys were also filled with hazards, vulnerability to weather conditions, rock slides, Other predators that would go and use up the resources of the valley. And so the valley was filled with both provision and peril. And if you study this, you'll find out that it's actually the leadership of the shepherd that takes the sheep through the valley. And I want you to understand this today, that the valley was high risk, high reward. The good shepherd did not avoid the valley. I want you to understand this right here today, this morning. God's leadership does not avoid valleys. God's leadership does not avoid valleys. And this begs the thought of us to have it, to to begin to think of, okay, if, if pain is not prejudice, and if God sometimes leads the sheep through the valley, then we have to begin to face the idea of a valley. Because the question is no longer, will I ever face a valley? The question is, what do I do when I'm in a valley? How do I cope with the calamities that come my way? We all have to navigate valleys in this life, and there are all kinds of valleys that we go through. In fact, I have the gift of the last eight months, because we have to, we have to ask ourselves the question, what does a valley look like? And I think I have the gift of an illustration, 2020 is a valley. <laughs> Amen? I mean, would agree, if there ever was a valley... The last eight months kind of look like a valley. And listen, maybe we haven't been faced with physical death, but many people in the room have experienced loss in this valley. Many people have experienced the deaths of family, the deaths of friends in this valley. Many of you have just experienced a different kind of death. Many of you have experienced the death of a milestone where nobody was around to celebrate a special moment. Nobody was able to be there for you during a difficult time. Some of you experienced the death of companionship. You know, I heard a story of a couple where the the boyfriend had to go to a different country and then COVID hit and they've been separated for the last eight months. The death of companionship. Maybe you've experienced the death of income. How many of you have had this season affect your income? Maybe you've experienced the death of a dream that you planned on pursuing this year. Some of you experienced the death 
of progress, the death of normalcy, the death of what this year has brought. Can I just tell you that this year has not caught Jesus off guard? Can I just remind you that God is still in control? God didn't go, what is COVID-19? I didn't plan for this. This is messing up everything. God did not have those kind of comments. And I think that that thought alone messes with some people. Because some of us believe God to be this overprotective teddy bear that only stands between us and struggle. Some of us begin to view God as somebody who stands between us and a season that looks like a valley between us and pain and says, no, 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 you can't touch them. They're my son. They're my daughter. Some of us believe God as somebody who keeps bad things away and never allows us to experience anything other than cuddles and sunshines and rainbows. And I think some of the reason this happens is because when we allow our comfort to define our view of God, we begin to look at God and go, God, things are great. Thank you. You're the reason. You're the source. Thank you for this good day. Thank you for this good weather. Thank you for this good thing. And then we look at bad days and bad seasons and go, well, this is the devil. The devil brought this heat wave. The devil brought this cold rain. And we begin to give credit. I'm just being silly. Listen, I think what happens in life is we want lit up highways. and Sometimes God takes us through the dark valleys. This messes with our view of God. But what if the valleys are really only opportunities to draw closer to the shepherd? What if the valley is the very place that God wants to bring refreshment into your life? Never forget, friends, that the valley holds the choicest of meals and the most refreshing of drinks. Can I say it this way? There are lifelong lessons to be found in the valley. If somebody were to give me a 10 minutes notice and say, Pastor Justin, we need you to preach. Our guest speaker is stuck at the airport or they're not going to make it. You want to know where I would pull from? I'd pull from my valley. I'd pull from the lessons that I learned in the hard times. Some of you, if you look at somebody that's been walking with God long enough, any advice that they give you that has any real weight, that holds any real water, it comes from a valley season. Some of the best meals and some of the best drinks are had in the valley. And God teaches us some of the deepest truths in the valley. God gives us diamonds of of lessons in the valley. So, in other words, lessons are to be learned in the valley. Or they can be learned if we have the right perspective. I want to give you some perspective points to keep in mind when we are being, pay attention to this, when we are being led through a valley. Number one, it's just a visit to the valley. It's just a visit to the valley. I want you to know that the verse does not say that they're stopping in the valley. It it, it doesn't say that they're walking in the valley and setting up camp. It actually says that they're walking through the valley. It actually says that they're just passing through the valley. Can I just encourage you with this thought right here that every season has an ending? Some seasons, yes, are longer than others. If you live here, you experience two seasons out of the year. If you live somewhere else, you might experience four seasons. 
So yes, there might be truth that some seasons are longer than others, but I need you to be encouraged nonetheless that every season has an ending. I used to actually think that life was either mountaintops or valley lows. And this is very actually mentally unhealthy because I used to think that either things were all good or things were all bad. I was either experiencing a high high or a low low. I was either ecstatic walking on sunshine or I was depressed. The older that I've gotten, I've learned that life is not full, uh, is lived in mountain highs and valley lows. Actually, majority of life is lived on the incline. Life is constant forward momentum and life is constant backward momentum. And if you're not careful, you will believe this idea that things will always be this way, that things will never change, that this is the only way it's ever going to be. You want to know where I think God wants us to live? I think there's this tension, and we'll put this up on the screen. Listen, life is never so good that there's nothing to trust God for. And in the same breath, life is never so bad that there's nothing to thank God for. You can thank God for some things in a valley. You can live on a mountaintop and still have things that you're trusting God for. You can have a great season of life and still be praying into some needs. You can go through a valley and be trusting God and still find things to thank him for. You can be waiting in a valley and still worship. You can be praying and still stop and praise God in a moment. It's just a visit to the valley. And I think our relationship with God is a lot of times affected by how we experience that valley, by the convictions that we have, by the thinking that we have, by the behavior that we have. Number two, I want you to understand that God is with you in the valley. I want you to look at this second part of the verse here in Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. God is with you in the valley. And watch this here. Notice something in the first three verses of Psalm 23. The psalmist is talking about the shepherd. Pay attention to the pronouns he uses. He's talking about the shepherd. He gets to the darkest. He, he, he changes his, these pronouns when he gets to the darkest place. When he gets to verse four, watch this. He says, he, the Lord, he is my shepherd. The Lord, he makes me lie down in green path. He leads me. He restores my soul. But watch what happens when he gets to this deep, dark valley. He's no longer talking about the shepherd. He's talking to the shepherd. In other words, David, who's being led through a valley, is talking about God, and he's using language that's very personal. He's using language of closeness and relationship. I just need you to know that God is with you. You can use language like God is with me today in this moment, right now, in this very present setting. Some of us talk about God more than we talk to God. Listen, maybe you're in this room and you're not a Christ follower. Maybe life has been challenging. Life has been hard. I just want you to know that God wants to walk with you too. That God wants to walk with you through your valleys, through your struggle season. God wants to walk with you. And the third thing that I want to say as we head out of these perspective points is that you don't have to be afraid. 
I want you to see that it's never the circumstances that drive David's confidence. It's the presence of the one who's with him. For you are with me. He doesn't say, I will fear no evil because the valley is a very safe place. I will fear no evil because God stopped at a drive-thru and got me my favorite meal. I will fear no evil because God bought me a new vehicle. No, no, no. He says, I will fear no evil because you are with me regardless of circumstances. There's a confidence that comes in knowing that God is very present in our lives with us. If we're honest here, I think in our stories, our personal stories, our life stories, in your life and in my life, what happens is we get to a verse four and all of this sudden it's doom and gloom. How many of you have a shift in your perspective for the negative from time to time? I do, man. Sometimes it's very easy for me to have a negative confession, to speak negatively about life, to speak negatively about a situation. It just is human nature. And I think what happens is fear causes us to forget. I think the weight of the emotion that we experience causes us to forget the truth that we actually have deep down inside of us. I think what happens is our tears, our circumstances, they shout to us that we're not loved, don't they? Our loneliness screams to us that we've been abandoned. Isn't it crazy that our pain will speak to us that we've been deserted, forsaken, left out? It's in this very place that David begins to bring his fears to God, and he begins to remind himself of the promises and presence of God in his life. I just need to look at some of you in the eye. I just need to ask you this question. More than a well-worded point in a sermon, I need you to wrestle with this question today because this will challenge you, and I pray it does like it challenged me. Have you forgotten about the presence of God in your current valley? Have you forgotten how beneficial, how necessary, how life-changing, how sweet the presence of God is because of your current circumstances? Do you sense the nearness of the Lord today? Do you sense the nearness of his leadership? Do you believe God when he promises to be near? Can I just, if you're in this place and your marriage is struggling, if you and your husband cannot come to resolve, if your marriage is considering counseling and therapy and you're asking for advice left and right, can I just encourage you, God is not far. If you're struggling with sickness or somebody that you know is sick and organs are starting to shut down, and, and, and unclear diagnosis are, are, are being given out. Can I just remind you, God is near. If there's infertility, if there's dementia in your family, and there's a depth of pain that you don't know how to reconcile, can I just remind you, the Lord is with you. I love that song that we sang, the Lord is in this place. If you know somebody that has cancer and it's eating away at their body and 
things are not working the same way and they're experiencing chemo, God is not far. You know, we had an intern last year that came and interned at our church. His name was Josh. Two of my favorite people. And during the six weeks of that internship, Josh would begin to be uncomfortable physically. And he would open up to me about it and say, I'm just not feeling well. This is hurting me. And this is, uh, there's just discomfort here. And, and we s- scheduled him an appointment for when he got back home. And then he went to the doctor when he got back home to discover that he had cancer. Here's why I share that, because that was hard. When you like somebody and when you love somebody and they get a diagnosis like that, it can be gut-wrenching. And when you're on the phone and when you're getting text messages and when you're talking to their parent, that is hard. But I was incredibly encouraged by Josh because Josh, despite his diagnosis, despite his circumstances, had hope and joy and faith. You want to know why? Because it wasn't founded on the resolution of a circumstance. His hope, his joy, his faith, everything that he needed to have contentment in this life, he found it in Jesus. I can show you Facebook posts. I can show you text messages where this kid was just pouring out faith. And it's like, how how do you have a confession like that when you're going to chemo? Because Josh understood the presence of God. I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to kind of come forward. Josh understood that God was near. That God was not far. That God did not abandon him and that God did not desert him. That God did not leave him nor forsake him. There is power in that. I want to read to you some scriptures today about God's nearness. As we come to a close here, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Matthew 28, verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 through 6. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Can I just offer you maybe not even some advice, but just some direction if you're in a valley this morning? It's the first thing that I would say. I'd point you in this direction. If you're in a valley, draw close to the shepherd. Draw close to the shepherd. Sometimes in our pain, we can resent truth. Can I just be honest with you? There are seasons where I was angry with God and I said things like, God, can you just leave me alone? And I'm so glad God chooses to ignore stupid prayers because that is the last thing that I would want. And if we're not careful, we will resent the thing that actually has the power to help us. If we're not careful, we will actually look at God with anger and resentment in our heart 
and refuse healing. Because it's actually in the presence of the shepherd that we get better. So if that's you in this place, I want to challenge you. Stop resenting, stop running, stop withholding, stop avoiding, and lean into the presence of God. There was a time where I did not talk to God for a while. Pain is not prejudice. In our hope, in times of darkness, is not found in the resolution of circumstances. Our hope is found in the presence of God. So lean in. Can I just challenge you this way? Focus on the nearness of the shepherd. Every day you wake up, focus on his nearness. Before you go to bed, focus on his nearness. When you're fasting and you give up a meal because you're trying to hear God's voice because you felt like you haven't heard it, just focus on the nearness of his presence, not the darkness of the valley. Some of us need to stop looking at the valley and stop looking at the mountaintop and understand that sometimes majority of life is spent on the incline. Sometimes we're in a season of waiting, but in that season of waiting, we can worship. Sometimes we're in a season of prayer while we're waiting for God. In those seasons, we can't still praise him. Sometimes we're in a season of trust where we don't know if God is going to come through. We can't still thank him. We've got to retrain our brain, train ourselves on how to think and how to approach these things, draw close to the shepherd. Could I just explain the way that Jesus is with us and the way that he leads us like this? God is not like a guide that you pay that will take you to a destination and then drop you off and abandon you and say, good luck. He's like a guide that takes us to the destination, makes sure that we're equipped with everything that we need, and then begins to say, do you have this? Do you have? Okay, now follow me. I am going to be your guide. These woods, these the, uh, the smoky mountains, I remember when I went there, and I'm so grateful for Richard Pawinski, who took the time to drive us around all day. He was a good guide. He didn't take us all the way across the mountain and say, good luck on your way back. He spent the whole day with us and showed us destination after destination. Can I just tell you, Jesus is a guide that will stay near and in the valley when it's dark and we cannot see, he sees through the dark. Can I be real corny for a second? God has night vision. I'm a dad. Like I have to go there if I think it, you know. Second thing that I would say as far as direction is I would challenge you to stay with the flock. Stay with the other sheep. Can I just tell you a small group is more important than just having a community? It's great to have friends. But when rubber meets the road and life is hard and you're in constant pain and you feel like you're bleeding out, you need more than just a buddy. You need people that are going to lay hands on you and say, we're going to pray for you, not just now, tomorrow. You're going, your name is going on my mirror because every day that I look in the mirror, I'm praying for you. I'm checking in on you. I'm sending you scripture. I'm encouraging you. You're not going to walk through this alone. Can I just tell you, when Tyler was giving his testimony, you want to know what I love? He was in a small group. That a small group was a part of his restoration and healing process. Some of you have only ever experienced valleys by yourself. And that's not how God leads us through valleys. God doesn't say, okay, 
There's a valley. Go through it. I'm going to actually go around. I'll meet you on the other side. He actually leads us with proximity. He actually leads us with closeness. Stay with the flock. And can I even take it a step further? Some of us need to humble ourselves so that we can actually accept help. Can I just tell you sheep are stubborn? I know because I is one. It's hard to accept help sometimes, isn't it? And yet this is Jesus' model. Small groups will help you and small groups will help grow you. They'll love you. Third thing that I would say, just keep walking through the valley. Don't give up. I love Finding Nemo. My kids don't really love it, but I try to get them to love it by playing it. There's a scene where Dory says, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. Y'all don't like, y'all like my kids. You don't like it either. There's something to that. I'll never forget sitting across from somebody that I look up to and admire greatly. His name is Reggie Dabbs. And I was in a valley and I had the opportunity to have lunch with him and I sat down and I'm just have you know, questions. And, and he just said, Justin, you can't quit because if you quit, the devil wins. Don't let the devil have his day in your life. God has not allowed that, so lean on his leadership. Keep walking. Keep in rhythm, in step with the shepherd. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5 says, We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. God is with you in your valley today, and you're not alone. And not only that, God is not wasting your valley. He's developing endurance and character. God will teach you lessons in the valley that you would have never learned on the mountaintop. You got to lean in. This is how we mature as believers. Believers. 